Hi guys, Rob here, podcast editor for EveryMind. What if going to work was good for you? Fostering employee well-being is good for people and the organization. Promoting well-being can help prevent stress and create positive working environments where individuals and organizations can thrive. Good health and well-being can be a core enabler of employee engagement and organizational performance. This week, Paul met with Debbie Bullock, well-being leader at Aviva, to discuss the most effective ways to implement well-being in the workplace her top tips on the best tools and approaches to mental health at work and shares her experience at Aviva. If you think EveryMind at Work can help your business, then head over to everymindatwork.com. If you like this episode, don't forget to share it with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. And as ever, enjoy the show. So Debbie, welcome to the EveryMind podcast. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. And thanks for having me. No worries, no worries. I know this is, um, we were talking about what other guests can we get on? And I thought about you straight away because I know we've had, We've only had a few conversations, but every time I get off the phone, I always, or the Zoom call, I always think of ideas and stuff like that. So, um, Debbie, for the people listening, can you let us know a little bit about what you currently do within your work? Yeah, so uh, it's Debbie Bullock. I work for the insurance company Aviva um, and I'm responsible for the well-being of our employees here in the UK. So there's about 15,500 colleagues in the UK. Um, Our well-being programme is split into four key areas. Um, Be healthy, be mindful, be secure and be awesome, which looks at um, physical, mental, financial and social and everyday well-being for our people. I manage a team of three who's also whose entire focus is on well-being and we sit within the people function at Aviva. Nice. And how long have you been doing that for? So I took this role on um, in January 2018. So I've worked for Aviva and its predecessor companies for my entire working career, actually. Um, The advantage of working for such a large organization is there are so many different roles. Um, But I came from a marketing and then corporate responsibility background. And it was the working in the corporate responsibility side and truly understanding the importance of people to the success of a business and looking after colleagues in terms of making sure we we future-proof the organization. So when we decided to have a real-time focus on well-being and and the role came up I was like I want that job nice and and what was the drive behind that because I meet so many people like you that are driving well-being in in organizations and a lot of them there is a I guess a a personal reason or there's something that interests them in that role Um, so so what was it for you did you have any of those personal reasons why you wanted to get into that sort of work yeah, so I think I'm I'm a really peopley person. Um, anyway, I like interacting with people. I don't know whether I, I would class myself as an extrovert, but I'm certainly not an introvert. I like spending time with people, and I like to care for people. I do a lot of stuff in the community um, where I live. You know, I've been involved in scouting, my church, the school governor type thing. And it's always about bringing people together and supporting people, bringing up my family is the same sort of like I'm the person that people come to. But recognizing that can bring its own challenges as an individual as well um, and then can impact your own well-being. So I don't have like a clinical background or anything like that. It's just a genuine interest in people and knowing that if people, if we can help people and support people, they're going to be at their best which for an organization, especially a service organization like ours, if we, uh, if we help 
our people be the best, then the service they provide is going to be the best. They're going to be perform at their best. So it was just a no-brainer, really, of bringing something I love, which is our people, um, into the – it means I love getting up every morning to do my job. It's like, why would you not? Nice. I love that. And I guess when you first got the role, was it just you that was within that wellbeing team and then you added people to it or did you always have a team at the beginning? So it was created as a team, as a team of, of four of us, so three and myself leading the team. So it was created like that. So there were trailblazers within the business. We have a health business as well, and we promote and encourage our corporate clients and our individual customers to think about their well-being with regard to their health insurance so we want people to stay healthy so they don't claim on their health insurance so well-being was already in the thought process of the organization and then we had colleagues in the people function who were like we need to be thinking about this for our own colleagues as much as we do for the employees and customers that we support so they start, we started to pull together a, a plan and what that might look like for Viva and recognizing that we to gain the right momentum, we needed a team to deliver that. And that's how the team was born. And I got the role. Nice. it's awesome. So I know a little bit about what you've done. And every time I have conversations with you, I feel like, you know, you've, you've got a team, you've got a lot, some buy-in and equally, you know, you're probably steps ahead of a lot of people that might be listening to this. You know, if there's like a standalone HR in a role where they're only just sort of starting with, you know, focusing on mental health and well-being for their employees. Um, so I want to touch on that in a minute about if someone's not done anything, what, what should they do? But before I do that, over the years of you working for Aviva and the work that you do, is there a couple of things that you've seen to be really effective that um, has really, really paid off? So I often describe well-being as a three-legged stool mm -hmm. and sometimes what people focus on is just one of those legs of the stool and you need all three for it to be sustainable. I bang on about this analogy a lot. Um, so a lot of people look at the benefits and the package that you might get and think about well-being in those terms. So access to a digital GP or a discounted gym provision or yoga classes, fruit in the office kind of thing. And that is really important. But another leg of the stool is about um, the culture of the organization. Because if that's not in a good place, that's things like psychological safety, those kind of things, um, and the right culture, you can't make the most use of those benefits. You know, if you haven't got the right work-life balance, psychological safety, how are you even going to use the things that people create? And then the third leg of that stool is personal accountability. So we need to help educate colleagues so they understand why they might want to take that step towards personal well-being. Um, I'm not their mum. I'm not the mother of 15 and a half thousand colleagues in the UK, thank goodness. Um, so it's not up to me to tell them what to do. You know, it's not like dealing with a child. So you need to educate, inform and encourage them so they make their own choice. So I think if you were looking what what key things make it successful those, those are the three pillars if you like for me if because if one leg's missing you could probably get by but it's not very sustainable you'd wobble quite a bit if you've only got one leg of the stool it's really not much use as a stool yeah and no, it's the same for a well-being program it's funny because we use something called the three P's approach, which is three pillars. Um, and, and it's very similar to your three-legged stool approach. So um, yeah. 
It's we we focus on promote, provide, protect. Like you say, you you can easily implement initiatives. You can train your managers, but promote is very much about that psychological safety within an organization, the stigma, the workplace culture, and you know I've seen in the work that I do, many organizations forget that. You know, oh, we've got this tool, we've got this training happening, but actually when employees don't feel safe and comfortable to use that training, then they're not going to use it. So it becomes a, a waste of investment. So, so exactly that. So exactly you're, that. Really, you're really focused on, I would say, that strategy, right? There's a there's a why, there's a reason behind what you're doing at Aviva. Yes, very much so. So um not looking after the well-being of your people is is actually a business risk. It's not even the well-being of your organization is not a nice to have anymore. It's an actual business risk, um, whether that be because of attracting and retaining talent, the risk of burnout to key individuals in the organization. So it's really important that people embed it right across sort of everything that they they think about from a business perspective. So it's great that we have a team um, and we sit within the people function, but actually a lot of my time is spent talking to the business about them building it into their everyday thinking. Um, And that's part of the strategy, actually. And that's where the culture leg comes in again. It's about so that everyone is thinking about well-being, not just the well-being team. Um, And I think that's what's really important um, as well. I love that. Let's talk about that because I'm very interested in that. And I'm I'm sure when we was on the panel, you mentioned something along those lines. Um, how do you embed it into day-to-day conversations at work? So I think having leaders who are comfortable and confident, um, and that I don't just mean the senior leaders. Quite often in an organization, you have brilliant demand from the bottom and brilliant, oh yes, we're doing this from the top buy-in. And then it sort of gets into this hourglass of a squeezed middle um, kind of shape. So uh, the the team leader level, so that first line leadership, um, whether you call it manager or leader, is really important in in making well-being and having safe and honest conversations. If you can't feel that you can tell your leader about um, an issue you're having, whether that be well-being related or business related, in fact, you know, if you've made a mistake and you you have fear of even raising that with your line manager or if it's a well-being issue, you have fear of raising that you have a mental ill health challenge at the moment for fear of what that might mean for the future, then that that's not a great place to be. So leaders play a really crucial role in opening that stigma and removing that stigma and making it a safe space. They're crucial to that culture that you need to create of psychological safety. And doing that and having an open and inclusive environment applies so much broader than just well-being. There's the whole diversity inclusion agenda as well that it supports. So that culture underpins the success of a business in so many different ways, not just well-being, that it's it's really important. And, And like I said, leaders play a crucial part, but they can't just talk the talk. They need to walk the walk. They need to role model. So we're lucky in the fact that we have um individuals and leaders at very many levels across very different departments in Aviva who were prepared to share their story um, about their lived experiences of well-being, whether that be physical, mental or financial well-being, often a forgotten thread um, around um, well-being. But that first person story and finding someone that colleagues can think, oh, there's someone like me. So those stories are important at every level, not just at the top. So having those stories from someone at the top 
opens up the door and sometimes gives permission, but they aren't always relatable to someone further down the organisation. You might get, oh, well, it's all right for you, dot, dot, dot. You know, so you need a mix of stories across all levels so that you can have, oh, that person was like me. Mm. And they're, they're, they've, you know, they're living a great life. They opened up about it. You know, they, they haven't suffered any repercussions. So you need it at all levels of all different kinds of stories. I love that. Yeah, I, I really relate to that. I think personal experience is so, so important. How, how do you share those stories? With uh, we've, we've got a number of ways. Obviously, we've been restricted with um, the pandemic. We're um, living in quite a lot of a virtual world at the moment. Um, so we have internal communication channels like Yammer, um, which is a social media type internal, internal system. We have... Um, MS Teams as a as a video chat facility um, and so we have groups on there where people come together and, and be in groups and share and support groups almost that are self-generated as well as on Yammer. We use that intranet a lot. Um, we use so we have a weekly live stream um, series, which we call Uncut, um, where our senior leaders are regularly talking to the business and taking any question, no questions off, off limits kind of thing. And that's often where some of their stories at senior level sort of come out. They might get asked a question. Could be anything from, you know, how are you using your volunteering hours that Aviva gives or, or you know, it's World Mental Health Day coming up. What challenges do you face or how do you maintain your mental health? And they'll tell a story and, and it will be genuine because they won't know that the question was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's lots of different channels that we use. Um, and then we have a dedicated intranet site for well-being, which has... It's less of a communication um, tool that and more of a repository of information. So it's not the most glamorous looking of intranet sites, but it's all about how quick can you find what you need. So we're pleased to say that from any point in our system, most people are two clicks away from the homepage and then one more click away from the thing they actually need. So three clicks to get to what a, a service you need or the support you need in just three clicks. Nice. That's really cool. I love that idea of like the live, the weekly live stream where they can ask questions. But even with that, I was just thinking, I'm sure you mentioned about, you know, I talk a lot about with mental health stigma, it's awareness, understanding action. I'm sure that probably came at a time when you'd done a lot of awareness and education work. So the leaders were like, I'll answer any questions you want, because I'm sure at the beginning of that, I'm sure a lot of leaders are like, I'm not being vulnerable on these live streams answering questions. Yeah. And and that's something across the live stream isn't specifically just well-being related questions. It's business related questions and anything goes literally. Um, and yeah, we, we are lucky in the fact that we've established over the past few years a real authentic leadership style at Aviva. Um, and, you know, our leaders at all levels, you know, but including our C-suite senior level leaders have that authenticity and and vulnerability. It's it's a weird word to use, I think, because people still fear the word vulnerability itself, um, which is why I tend to use authenticity. But but yeah, sort of like that genuine honest. This is this is what happened to me, and this is where I am in in my life. And yeah, there are days where I don't want, I don't feel like this or I don't feel on top of the world either but that's where the team 
you know element of working in a large organization really helps as well so so yeah the live stream broadcast is really good and we'll have specials for various different things as well depending on the time of the year so results and and things like that it's a great communication method because then you guys can probably plot some questions in there as well that you want to get across from well-being it's a really i love that that idea yeah it's it's good and i mean obviously it it doesn't replace our pre-COVID and now we're coming out of the pandemic so our senior leaders are going back to visiting our sites again so you know they're going out and doing town hall type sessions as well which are also ask anything anytime but because they can't be everywhere and we've got lots of offices around the UK you know so the 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 weekly stream just gives everyone a chance regardless of where you are what your working style or pattern is to be able to ask those questions yeah and I think that's a really important point because I think you highlighted it. We do, we have a free course called the Everyman Champions course. And the idea of that is to get employees, no matter their level in an organization, to feel like they can champion it. Um, and, and like you said, there's sometimes a lot of employees that feel like, oh, if my business isn't doing anything, senior leaders aren't buying into it, then I can't do anything. But I really understand the importance of personal story and personal experience because. I've seen it myself from sharing my own story, just how that it can be contagious. You know, it's like someone sharing makes someone else feel like they can share and someone else feels like they can share. And before you know it, you're having more conversations about it. And I'm glad you said that you do that rather than, you know, the general ones of, you know, we put signs up, we do this. I know obviously it's all changed because of COVID and I'm sure there's a lot of that too, but I think, personal stories and making it very employee driven is a really powerful way of making it normalized if that makes sense yeah and I always say well-being is really individual but obviously yeah. as an organization I can't have 15 and a half thousand individual well-being programs you know because yeah. that that that's just not going to work either but having a range of services and support that people can call on in different ways and different means and making them easy to access for people, but also having leaders well-equipped and trained to help signpost people or or for individuals to know that it's safe to go get that. Um, But you're right, first person's, I mean, yes, we do still have emails and posters and when we're in offices, you know, those kind of activities as well. But outside of that initial if you if you bring something new in outside of an initial launch email where you might get a bit of a flurry of oh oh yeah that's fine those the thing that that tells the greatest story is is people like me mm. you know people who are like me and when you see people like you doing that and and that's it and i think opening up and having conversations it's menopause there's any taboo topic whether it's mental health menopause i i shock people quite often still outside of our organization i think inside of our organization they've got more used to it now but you know i frequently talk about the fact that i'm a menopausal woman you know i'm experienced the menopause i may forget your name so if i see you at an event in the future please forgive me if i forget who you are um i'll recognize you but i won't be able to remember your name um and, you know, and then they go, oh, she's talking about the menopause as a cause of that. And it's like, yeah, it's caused me anxiety as well, you know, and those kind of things. And and there's a little bit of a, oh, you know, but, but you're right. The more that we do it, the more people will feel comfortable doing the same. Um, some people ask why I put my pronouns on my signature. It's because um, 
my pronouns are she and her. But by normalizing adding pronouns to our signatures and other places, it makes it more acceptable for people to use all their pronouns so that we can more easily identify people whose pronouns might not be what someone initially thinks, you know, so they feel comfortable saying their pronouns are they, them, or these, there, or whatever in each individual feels. So the more everyone does something, even if it's not directly impacting them, the better it is for everyone. I love that. It's really, really important because I just, again, I feel, as you said, the biggest challenge that we still have with mental health is yes, awareness is increasing, but there's still such a misunderstanding about, as you said, how individual it is and mental health and well-being isn't just a topic that you can talk about once a year. And, you know, you've got so many different factors that come into well-being and mental health. Um, and still we paint it with a very sort of simplistic brush. It's like, oh, it's very simple. We can do mental health talks once a year and everything will be happy. But like you say, it's so individual. The more awareness and education and understanding we can have, the better I think then we're equipped to manage it and deal with it ourselves. And I think the first step is reminding everyone that they all have mental health all of the time. It's when you say the words mental health, people immediately wrongly think mental ill health. And that's not the case. You know, we all have mental health all of the time. And we would think nothing about going, oh, I've put on a few pounds. I'm thinking about popping down the gym or going on a, you know, a healthy eating plan. So you would, you would quite openly share that. So, but we don't feel as comfortable yet saying, oh, you know, my mental health has put on a few pounds in, it, you know, or whatever the the way we would describe that is, you know, my mental health's not in a great place today. So I'm going to take myself off and do some mindfulness or take myself off and do this. That's not entered normal language yet still, despite, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that we're trying um, to do that everywhere. Um, and I think until that is normalized in, in language you know, worldwide, we will still face these sort of small stigmas. So, so the first challenge is reminding everyone that mental health doesn't mean mental ill health. Mm-hmm. Um, and mental ill health is not the same thing either. There's such a broad spectrum. It could be just a bit of, you know, anxiety that you get and you can easily control. It could be bipolar or psychosis. There's such a, a broad spectrum of things that people could tag as mental ill health that I'm not sure um, it's it's helpful as a as a, a an overall term either. I, we tend to describe our mental health being on a sliding scale, mm-hmm. um, and you know we've got prevention stuff that helps people keep them on the the top end of the scale, and and hopefully stops them sliding towards the negative. Um, but should people get down there, we've got intervention support as well, and sort of everything in between. But even identifying where you are on that sliding scale is is the first step. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's getting better everywhere, but but we still have a long way to go. And like I said, the first thing is just convincing everyone they've got mental we've all got mental health all of the time and not associating that with pictures of black and white with people with their head in their hands Mm -hmm. because that's not what mental health is about. We need more smiley facey mental health pictures and less pictures. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. It's, it's so, so true. I, I talk a lot about it in the session that I deliver about the sliding scale. And then I talk about the sliding scale of physical health and mental health. And, and then I, open up about you know the the education that I got with physical health was 
Paul, if you keep eating those donuts after school, you're going to become physically unwell. You know, Paul, keep drinking water. Um, eat an apple a day to keep the doctor away. Like you're, you're, you're being educated to be very proactive of your physical health. But that sliding scale of mental health, I was taught, one, you haven't got mental health. And two, if you ever struggle with it, don't talk about it unless you drastically need to talk about it. So you're, I think we're all being educated to, as you say, firstly, not even know that we have mental health. Like I used to back it up mental health with mental illness and then mental illness my education was straight jackets and, and what I saw in the media and the news like that was the way I was brought up so when you know my dad was struggling we didn't we didn't understand it we didn't get it but then equally um we're very conditioned and educated to be very reactive like you say we don't have the understanding and the self-awareness to know that we're on that sliding scale so we just wait until we're in that crisis off the end. Yeah. yeah very much and and I think society in general needs to work with that. And I think workplaces can support that. Um, you know, we spend a third of our, our lives at work, you know, eight hours a day um, potentially can be at work. Um, you know, when you consider you spend eight hours a day asleep, you know, and then eight hours a day doing other things. So it's a third of your of your day on average at work. So we're in a position to contribute to raising people's awareness of the fact that we all have mental health and we can contribute a lot to to people's mental health positively or negatively depending on the way the environment is set up in 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 the office uh, or in whatever working environment you have um so i think it's really important that employers recognize the part they have to play in helping individuals become self-aware individuals still need to take that personal accountability so going back to the top of the conversation where i talk about the three-leg stool so we can help educate and provide you know support but there's an individual accountability as well so people need to step into that um we can't do it for people but we can certainly as 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 employers who are a large part of people's lives do a lot to support that and certainly not make it worse Mm, yeah exactly it's like providing them with the the tools that potentially they need to manage their own mental health but like you said you could have the gold-plated mental health and well-being strategy of every initiative under the sun but a lot of it still comes down to like you say the personal accountability of that individual um amazing stuff I, I do want to go back to that question of with your experience if someone's maybe listening to this and they don't have much in place already maybe a smaller business what would you advise them to start with? I think don't underestimate actually what you've probably got, but you don't call it well-being. Mm. So a lot of smaller organizations sometimes seek advice and they go, oh, we don't have a well-being program. And then they talk about their culture and their the way things are and, oh, this little deal that they've got around the corner with this provider or whatever. And I was like, that, that is the start of a well-being program. Your culture and your ethos is is there so the first thing would be don't underestimate what you've got you might just not call it well-being so have a good look at that I the, the next thing is to understand anyone in a leadership role um in an organization I think needs to understand mental health and the fact that what we've talked about the fact that it doesn't just mean mental ill health and needs to be open and aware of um support in colleagues in the business so um, some good quality training or support for p- 
anyone in a people leadership role, um, which could be one or two people in a small organization or 50 or 60 people in a medium sized organization. But that would be an area I would target. Um, and then use first person stories. And I think even if you don't have access to everything um, that a larger organization might have, if you've got a culture of openness and support with educated and supportive leaders, then even if your signposting is to services in the NHS, you've made the right start. Empathy. Empathy is is massively important for each other. And but again, that people leader role is so, so intrinsically important. So I would look at training for your people leaders, um, understanding what you've already got, creating some signposting documents that those people leaders can use if, if, if they think people are struggling and then start talking about it in, in your organization in an open way. Mm. Yeah, I love that, that. that would be my things. I love that. Cause that kind of like tackles the whole, as you say, top down strategy of managers being equipped, but then equally you're empowering employees to share. Um, and I also love the idea of we've, we just put out a, we call it the mental health support directory. It's like pages and pages of adv- advice of what support you can get accessible for free in the UK. Um, and one of the reasons why I wanted to create that, and I, I've got to give t- credit to the team. They did a better job. I just said, can we create this? Is there so many numbers out there and so many websites, but then it's like going on to the website. How do I get access to this? So we basically broke down a lot of the charities and you know services that NHS recommends. And we sort of took them through step by step, like go to Anxiety UK, go here. You know, this is how you try and access free therapy based upon, you know, Anxiety UK. And we break it all down. And I think you're really right there. It's like a lot of organizations, smaller organizations, I don't mean to stereotype, we'll just say, right, we'll sign up to an EAP um, because then at least we've got some counseling if people want it. But they forget like the core reasons why, like you've just highlighted, whereas actually, there are some free resources out there that you can signpost to, but it's about equipping your managers, empowering employees and focusing on the culture. Yeah. If you, if you've got a psychologically safe culture, that will stand you in better stead than paying money for an EAP because Mm. you can have the right conversation. And if you've got a signposting document, which, you know, you guys have pulled together a great, a great one for everyone to use, then, you know, that that's the start. It's, 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 if people are having the conversations, you've almost cracked the difficult bit, the culture bit. That's the providing a list of benefits and services or paying for a list of benefits and services is the easiest part. Mm-hmm. It, it's the culture of an organization and and just an openness to, and removing the stigma that's the harder part. So if you can do that first. And and the other thing that I missed out of my first bit is as an organization, genuinely look at what you're asking your colleagues and your employees to do are you actually contributing to a a decline in their mental well-being by the way you're asking them to work you know so a real people-centered approach so if you've got someone who's got caring responsibilities are you being as flexible as you possibly can to help with that because that will support their mental overall mental health have you got someone who's neurodiverse rather than neurotypical and are you set up to help them work in a way that best suits them setting your employees up for success rather than setting them up for failure will underpin their well-being so genuinely look at you know 
have you got more work than you have the number of people to do the work? And what can you do about that if you have? What can you take off the list or or can you recruit more people? You know, need, the latter isn't always possible. So what can, how do you prioritize the work so that you're not adding to potential burnout? So, and the great thing about all those things, that, that psychological safety, empowering first person stories, looking at your culture are all at zero cost. Mm-hmm. So it's about making work good for you. Um, business in the community have uh, released a report recently called What If Work Was Good For You? Um, and that is just, that's what we've got to underpin. If, you know, if we can create the right culture and work that doesn't make you ill, mm-hmm. then that's a great place to start. And that's that's a great example of like you being someone who, as you say, is people focused in comparison to we've signed up to this new initiative for all of you guys, but we're still going to throw loads of work on your plate and not worry about the fact that you've got care and responsibilities and we want you back in the office by nine o'clock tomorrow. So like you say, once you know the, you know, what I used to get frustrated at a couple of years ago and it's slowly changing when you hear about the employers that are doing good things for mental health and wellbeing, it used to just be like the stuff they've signed up to. You know, they've got a slide in the office or <laughs> they provide free fruit and all of that. But actually, like you said, it's the it's the people-centered approach of we know this individual has got care and responsibilities, so we're going to be flexible with that. Um, if I think that, as you say, is free, which is why it gets overlooked so much, because it's often the hardest, you know, not the hardest thing to do, but it's often the most challenging thing to do for a lot of the bigger organizations. So it's amazing to hear that you're very focused on that people, people first approach. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Our people are our biggest assets, so we need to help support them. Yeah. And, and even like our team, our team's a small team. There's about 15 or 16 of us. And obviously, like our aim is to improve mental health in the workplace. And I'm always thinking as the founder of like, you know, should we be doing more? Should we be doing more for our own people? But I think, you know, you've really helped me reinforce that it isn't about what we sign up to. I really strongly believe I have a very good open culture with our employees because if they want to talk about their mental health they can i as the founder i'm very open and honest about my own and i try and set that precedent and we've already seen employees feel like they can talk about it and i think that far outweighs me saying hey guys we've signed up to the cap where you can access counseling whenever you want or we've signed up to this when you can do that um and we do things again like it's free we do a weekly switch off at 4 30 every friday and the reason why we wanted to do that is, you know, we're talking about mental health every single day of the week. And for some people that can be quite heavy. Um, and we do a weekly switch off on Friday and they've now started to have a bit more format where last week we guessed everyone's baby photo. Um, the week before that we play bingo and it's, that's free. Right. But I think in those, in that half an hour with my team, I feel like I get to know them more than the team meetings. Yeah. And obviously that kind of thing can depend on the size of an organization and, and, you know, whether that, whether that works on a team level or whether you just let individuals have some time themselves. I think one of the things that we have seen a slew of recently is um, organizations giving colleagues a whole day or a whole week where the entire operation shuts down for a week um, or a day. Um, and while that is very laudable, my only concern about those kind of things is the positioned as you know, it's to give them to stop them suffering burnout or a mental health break. And I was like, 
but are you doing anything about the environment they're returning to a week later? Because if not, all you've done is postpone it rather than solve it. And you've also potentially um, made their stress worse because they've now got a week's worth of work to catch up on. Um, so, so it's a real fine balance between, you know, what, what seems like a good idea versus actually what it's about the root cause of the issue that are making people feel like that. And if you don't solve the root cause, all you're doing is sticking plaster over it. You, you're solving the symptoms rather than trying to solve the cause. So, um, but yeah, all those kind of things are really good, but just have a genuine look. That's why I say it's about, it's, as well as the individual people, it's about looking at your workloads, about your culture, um, and just seeing if you've got that balance right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. It's so, it's so true. Like you say, I mean, if you give everyone a week off and they come back to more work and a culture where they can't be themselves and it's like a week-long holiday, isn't it? And like it's that whole saying of you don't need a vacation when there's nothing to escape from. It's like, you know, you wouldn't need that <laughs> week off. If yeah, great phrase. Yeah, I love that. So couple of things to just just finish up um firstly you know you might not be able to tell us everything but what are you carrying on focusing at Aviva sort of moving forward over the next year or two um so in the very immediate future obviously um colleagues are some colleagues are choosing to return to the office some of the time um so we're introducing what we call smart working which is about colleagues working in the best place for the business the customer and them as an individual so Colleagues are going through the change curve again. So in the same way last March when everyone was suddenly working from home, which was new, they're now trying to adjust to a new way of working for them. So so supporting our colleagues through the change curve um, is something that we're looking at. Um, we will always review our, our wellbeing program. Um, I'm really getting into the nitty gritty of organizational design at Aviva um, with our specialist uh, people function colleagues who look at that and trying to understand if they get that right. So, you know, the right role, the right accountabilities, how do we measure the well-being success of that? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, a chunky piece of work. Um, and then other things to consider are it's not that we don't do it currently, but are we communicating and packaging up correctly our support for, from a broader family perspective in terms of things like fertility, uh, baby and pregnancy loss, um, those kind of, so we're just reviewing some of those policies that might have been in place for a while that, that might need a bit of a refresh. So we'll be working with our employee relations and policy colleagues to, to understand where that sits in terms of, you know, how our, whether our colleagues would expect support from their employer in that kind of area or not? Um, and if so, what? So those are some of the pieces we look at. And then the other thing that I will always be doing is banging the drum about talking about things and being open and sharing stories. So we will continue to do that. But yeah, nothing spectacularly new really on the horizon um, because it's all about individual conversations continually. So I don't think there's any brand sparkling new um, hot off the press. Um, I, I love that you said that, though, because that just goes to show you that this isn't a one day a year thing that you can do. It's like you're still in it. You're still tweaking and perfecting and learning and listening. And, you know, that's probably going to carry on for however long you continue doing it, isn't it? It's not. 
Very much so. Very much so. Every day is a learning day. Yeah. It's not like one campaign that's about to happen and that's going to revolutionise workplace well-being. No, I know. I mean, in a way, you almost wish that could be the case. Yeah, if yeah, we yeah. could if we could all run a, a, a campaign for two weeks, wave a wand and the world be sorted, yeah. that would, I, I mean, obviously I'd be out of a job then. Um, <laughs> but, 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 you know, I, I, I'd go for that. For, for It's almost like, the old contestants what what do you want well world peace you know kind of thing so well-being for everyone with one campaign and the wave of a wand would obviously be wonderful despite it doing me out of a job but that's as we know that's not realistic so yes an ongoing continuation really yeah but if you come up with that campaign you'd be a very rich lady right so um everyone's looking for that that magic bullet for well-being so rich in the fact that i know everyone would be in a good place I would probably be the kind of person who would do it and not charge for it. If there was some solution like that that was available, it deserves to be free for the world. 100%. And I think people are looking for that that one solution, aren't they? But I think your your answer to that question was, you know, we're just carrying on as we are and changing this and trying this. And, and like you said, there's so many different topics that fit underneath the well-being and mental health umbrella that haven't even been explored yet. So... I think it's so, so important to just keep keep that going. Um, the last question I've got is because a lot of HR professionals listen to this and often ask the question, who's HR for HR? Um, who, what do you do to manage your own mental health and well-being um, in the work that you do? Um, so outside of work, I have two things that I'm, I, I do. So I'm a keen amateur baker. So baking is my mindfulness time in the kitchen. So I made a malt loaf this weekend following... certain tv programs technical challenge this week um so i like baking i find um, when i'm focusing especially on a new recipe that's really good for my mindfulness similarly i'm part of a workplace choir so for an hour a week on a tuesday i go and sing and that's that's really supportive um the biggest piece of advice i would give to anyone and this is one thing that i'm absolutely rigid on is take control of your diary you know your diary is like your body you're in charge of what goes in it and so I have um 90 minutes to two hours a day dedicated focus time with no meetings that I do my work work um I have my lunch booked out every day and I'm an early riser so I might be at my laptop by 7 30 but I'm gone by five mm-hmm. and I never ever take my devices with me on holiday ever doesn't matter how important I think I am I'm genuinely not that important that they can't live without me for for a fortnight or whatever so that's what I do to protect my well-being and then spending time with my family obviously um it just grounds me um, and they remind me I'm not that important yeah I love that it's that that non-negotiable like that non-negotiable if I'm putting a lunch break in my calendar and no one can interrupt that because I'm the same. It's, you know, I talk about you got to have your non-negotiables and, you know, I don't necessarily like the word coping strategy because I don't think it's about coping, is it? It's about thriving and, and feeling positive. So your non-negotiable is, like you say, finishing at a certain time, switching off, baking, um, lunch breaks and all of that. I love that. I did, I did bake a cake. I don't know if you can see that. Bake a cake. Oh, wow. Yeah, nice. So little, that looks like, it's chocolate. Chocolate, chocolate cake. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've got to be honest baking and cooking is not very good for my mental health I'm an awful awful at it um I did have a lot of help from my wife and also um yeah he enjoyed it more than I did let's just put it that way (laughs) 
time together. The out as my my thing is the output, the outcome is is almost irrelevant. It's yeah. the the action of doing it. Usually, mine are edible, even if they don't look good. But um, edibles ed- edibles a win in my yeah, house yeah, as long right. as it's edible. Um, you know, there's been the odd one that haven't been, but I just think it's just try another one, try another time. I love that. It's really cool. Debbie, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. And there's so much that I've taken from it. I'm sure others have as well. So um, yeah, thank you for taking the time out. I appreciate it. No worries. And have a great rest of the week. And you.